0: Hello friends and welcome to The Ian Khan Show. You're watching an Aftershock special episode. Today I'm interviewing Richard Browning who is the founder and chief test pilot of Gravity Industries. Launched in March 2017, his dream behind Gravity Industries was to reimagine a human flight and with an elegant partnership between mind, body, machine and exploiting leading edge technology. Let's hear it from Richard Browning. Richard. Welcome to the Ian Khan show. I am so excited to have you here and you're one of the trailblazers today. A lot to talk about. Tell me what's going on right behind you. What's happening right now?
1: Yes, very topical. So uh, my wife here and I, we are building these uh, they are virus masks. So in other words, they're uh, sort of the, the PPE, personal protective equipment masks. (laughs) There you go. Perfectly demonstrated. Um, We are 3D printing the structure, the supported structure in that uh, printer there. And then there's a bit of a manual process of punching the holes and constructing them. So yes, on a uh, bank holiday Friday afternoon, we are uh, not slowing down in our production of the things. I love
0: it. Oh my God. I love it. And I love this is a a very environmental interview. You're in your environment. Uh, You're doing the thing that you do. And that makes it so much more interesting. Now you started your career. Let's talk a little bit about your early career. You started as an author trader, you worked in the oil and gas industry uh, for about 15, 16 years. And it's a very different industry, but I'm guessing inside you were always who you are right
1: now, correct? Um, yeah, um, i think so. I think, yeah. I mean, in summary, my career in the industry, in the oil industry was somewhat, if I'm really honest, driven by, I suppose, the opportunity to build a financial safety net and yeah, I suppose build enough of a cushion really in hindsight to then go after more of my passions later in life. My childhood was an interesting journey and it led me to, I suppose, it was highly value building that security safety net that a career like that would do it, what I've gone on to do with gravity is I guess a lot closer to my heart in terms of going on that journey of building making creating and taking on an unusual barely possible challenge and hopefully dragging it over the line I love that process despite the fact that most of the time you fail <laughs> yeah um, so yeah it's all about building that safety net really in hindsight not that I really thought about it at the time yeah
0: well, now with gravity you're doing something really incredible it's just it's just so different it's just so credible you're it's it's a very innovative thing uh, you're breaking uh, boundaries of thought of, of perception this is somewhat uh, you know what what happened in the first flight ever that we had this huge mental block that it couldn't be done and then human flight took over uh, the first flight took over. what was the process of kind of going through those initial phases of failure which i'm sure you went through tell us a little bit about your journey of starting off with the idea of gravity and then doing those yeah. tests where you failed yeah
1: so the inspiration was from a number of different sources really one of them was from my Time in the British Royal Marines Reserve, UK division of the military that um, are called the Royal Marines, and there's quite stringent physical and mental tests to get through. There, They're sort of same flavour as the Navy SEAL kind of process, and that taught me a lot about human capabilities, So the whole process of seeing a challenge, mental or physical or both physical challenge, and then believing that you can overcome those obstacles, and realizing that the human brain and body is an amazing machine that can be adapted to fulfil quite a ridiculous range of often quite challenging tasks if you really you know focus on it, and. So I took that as a, I suppose past the inspiration. The other part came from my childhood that when I grew up uh, used to go flying model gliders with my uh, late father, he was an aeronautical engineer and most of my family were from the world of aviation and actually helicopters as well. And I, I suppose I sort of married those two things together and came up with this hypothesis that I wonder if you could employ the human brain from a balance and control point of view and the body from a strength point of view and tackle the challenge of human flight in an entirely different, seemingly illogical, crazy way. And genuinely for no reason other than the joy of the challenge. I just thought, wouldn't it be kind of neat if you could, instead of leaning on, say, this desk here, you can't see, I'm leaning on this desk, the feeling the support the desk provides my hands, if you swap that out for the momentary support that a form of propulsion from a jet engine or a propeller of some kind will give you, then I knew from my training that I could support my body weight in a variety of different sort of gymnastic positions. So, well, doesn't that mean I can then kind of support myself as I lift off the ground? And I, just for the pure joy of the challenge, how far can you go with that concept? And that, that was really it. You
0: know, I'm just trying to do a couple of things by asking you these questions. One is really uh, break the idea that sometimes we just cannot do things. In today's time where COVID-19 is out there, we're just facing an unprecedented kind of a change that we're dealing with. And I think life and success and breaking through something, a barrier is, is all about overcoming that fear of change or coming through it or somehow uh, surpassing it. And learning from experiences. you're talking about is also dealing with a lot of change because you've constantly got it reiterated. So that was your initial journey starting off with the idea with the concept and then bringing this to fruition i know you're doing a lot of test flights i've seen you at a few expos you've done a lot of face-to-face interactions with people where they're actually able to see you i saw you flying off a ship somewhere as well in the middle of the ocean i believe are you going through a phase of helping people understand this as a reality right now where are you where you want to be (laughs) where you want to be
1: i mean what what has ended up happening we after back in 2016 when i for about eight months went from the idea to actually first flying this. I got a phone call when we then launched the company, we came up with um, the name Gravity, the brand Gravity, as a sort of package within within which to sort of share this with the world, because the few people had come to see it had kind of lost their minds more than I'd imagined. And I thought, well, well, let's just experiment with sharing this with the world and just throw it out there and see what happens. And we launched it with Red Bull and Wired. Both of those brands were very valuable in terms of propelling us in the desired direction. And uh, within a week, I got a phone call from Chris Anderson from TED, who said, uh, could you come and do TED 2017 in Vancouver and could I fly there? Bearing in mind, I'd not even flown outside of the farmyard test zone we'd been using, I still said yes and thought, gosh, that's a great privilege. I've been a huge admirer of TED Hawks for years. Um, on the way there, I stopped off in San Francisco to accept an invitation from Adam and Tim Draper, um, who I didn't really know who they were at the time, did a demonstration in their VC car park, the you know Boost VC car park. In yeah. fact, I'm wearing one of Adam's old t-shirts as the Boost VC. Uh, there you <laughs> go, as it happens. And uh, landed the very first demo you know, anywhere. I packed it all into two check-in suitcases to take this thing the other side of the world from the UK. And uh, Tim and Adam lost their minds and wrote me a $640,000 deal on a $100 bill that's pinned to my lab wall back over there uh, and that was the beginning of the journey that said gosh okay this is starting to have impact and then a week later did TED and did a talk there on the same day as Elon Musk and Pope, uh, and then did a demonstration in front of everybody including Richard Branson and uh, that kind of crowd and yeah it all worked uh, Adam Savage was my ground crew, impromptu ground crew on the day, it was just this ridiculous fairy tale really and then since then we've leveraged events quite significantly so we've now done um, 103 separate events in 30 countries uh, in fact if I just uh, swivel my camera slightly so those are some of the lanyards up there that oh, look at that I can see that um, wow. that we've ended up collecting and they've they've been a gift really because you know to get the five TED talks now and all these events all over the world including a dozen different military events flying around aircraft carriers and the kind of things you'd never imagine we get asked to do the benefit of all of these has been to be able to battle test the equipment in front of different audiences in different environments at different altitudes in different locations you name a desert or a sea or a city or or, uh, you know, I mean, when I say altitude, I mean like Johannesburg and the mountains in Arizona, both of them are about 6,000 feet and we've flown there, which has a major effect on the gas turbine. So we've flown in all sorts of different locations and in front of live audiences, often quite, you know, high-end folks, we've flown from Mark Zuckerberg, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos as well. So in fact, actually, I actually have to pause on that one. That's one of the one of the victims of the virus. That was an event we were supposed to be doing that's now on pause that will come back again live. But that kind of caliber of people have seen me fly and then, you know, and also got equally excited. So what an amazing opportunity to kind of poll people opinion that when you bring something so new to them what's the first thing that springs to their mind are they excited they you know do they want to buy one do they want to have a go at training to learn to do it do they want to go and watch a race series with these things i mean and all of those are the things we're going on and doing and also most of these events have paid us a lot of money so we've generated all our own revenue since that first draper uh, event and it's all gone ploughed back into the r&d and we've got a decent team of people and built that major you know momentum and patented it all and yeah it's been quite an unusual last three years since we launched
0: that's incredible it's such an incredible journey and i'm glad that it's mm mm-hmm. You know you're exposing everybody's being exposed to this radical idea of, of just taking off and flying and imagining what to do with it now in terms of an organizational structure you know we see you flying with the suit uh, Richard has the suit on he's flying up in the air what is the team that works with you how many people work on this every day like how do things work and I'm trying to help on I'm, I'm, I'm trying to help our audiences understand there's a structure behind things you know you've got to be able to take deliberate structural steps in order to create a business to be successful to do whatever give us an idea whatever you can share with respect to what kind of a team backs you up in doing this
1: I mean it was a fairly solo journey when I first developed this but then very quickly I've collected a wonderful bunch of people around me which uh, are in their own ways in e- all of their specialisms vastly better than me which is exactly how it should be and I very much enjoy that support so I have uh, core to the engineering is a, a couple of relatively recent graduates um, in their mid-20s they've been out of you know, academia now for two or three years but um, they are complete mavericks in the sense that they can turn their hands to anything uh, technically and academically, they're excellent. But also they're the kind of people that, you know, you get a tire blowout on the way to an event and they will work out how you can improvise, you know, to solve it when you realize the jack is missing from our fairly old uh, event vehicle, for instance. Um Or we're in the mountains of Arizona for the GoPro shoot. I mentioned Arizona already. Yeah. And we're wondering why even the lightest of the three of us aren't getting off the ground. And we can work out all the different measures we can take, including taking the odd cover, debris covers off the, en- off the engines to help them with the airflow, the very meager airflow, just that ever so small amount to help boost the thrust and, you know, they're the kind of people that can really think on their feet. But even better than that, those are two of my best pilots as well. So we've ended up with this really neat team from a technical point of view. And, and there is a broader group beyond the three core of us, but they can do so much, whether it's filming some cinematic sequence or editing some wonderful piece for the media or flying or doing a piece to camera for the news or coding a CAN bus control system for a new experimental suit or indeed doing additive sympathetic CAD design for um, you know the latest suits. You can kind of vaguely see one sitting back there. All of that structure is 3D printed now. So So they've gone sort of rich, deep capability, not quite savant level capability from some of my team, but they are are a master of a number of different skills and very close and intimate to the evolution of the suit. So um, from the technical point of view, those guys are core. I've got a couple of um, folks on the commercial side and events side. There's two women who have been again with me from right from the beginning, who have gone from everything from organizing shipping containers to get a Bermuda for our race series that was postponed and was supposed to be going live two weeks ago, but to organize how you do all that to getting my equipment out of you know any one of the 30 countries around the world if there's been a last minute hitch from a technical point of view or um so you know it is a really eclectic bunch often from quite varied backgrounds that bring together a whole range of skills uh, but often know oh, those skills overlap in a positive way which means that they can fill in for each other and have a depreciation for each other's domains that's quite key as well so really to answer your question the core team is about half a dozen and there's a wider group of 12 to 20 spread around the world that often do kind of part-time support for us i mean there's people like before Former director of the F-35 development program, uh, as a former chief test pilot, my wider team. You know, it's, we've been so privileged in having such amazing people like that reach out over the last three years, and just with this almost childlike urge to be part of this journey. Again, a massive win for uh, for you know what is effectively still a small business.
0: Absolutely. Now, tell us about uh, maybe perhaps a time when things didn't go the way you wanted to. And I, whenever I see your videos, you're flying over a city, or flying over uh, whatever. I'm like, what if the suit stops working? For- Whatever reason, it just stops. Tell us about maybe a a time when something of that sort happened or you were like, oh my God, what's happening? But then you came out of it. Just for us to understand what the experience is to be flying up in the air.
1: So our ethos is quite clear in this. So innovation is all about failure, to be honest. It's all about going and stepping out, doing something that hasn't been done before and critically learning from all the mistakes and being able to get back up again from failure. If you go and decide you're going to build a, a thousand horsepower jet suit and you have a go with version one, fire it up and go, to 200 feet, and as you say, learn the hard way that there's a problem with what you're doing, that you're not going to get to have another go if you've gone up to 200 feet. So, our ethos is very clear take the risk, but very quickly analyze what is the worst that can happen if that risk manifests. And if that risk means that you're not going to be able to recover from a physical injury or death, obviously, financial impact that you can't recover from, or a reputational impact because you've, you know, you've been stupid. The number of times I've looked at an event and I've been flying around for an audience and I've seen like a bus go by, you know, 200 meters, 300 meters the other side of the event, and I thought, you you know it'd be really cool to go and land on the bus surf the bus and then come back again it'd probably (laughs) go quite viral but you know a quick sense check um you know and i'm not 20 anymore um is am i really going to be allowed to go and do many more of these events if i could build a reputation for being fast and loose with you know the respect for the event organizers well no so it's reputation financial and most critically safety if we can't recover from a risk manifesting in any three of those areas we don't do it so you'll notice that we don't fly massively high i mean even over water we you know we'll fly 30 40 50 feet over water um but in every Every instance we analyze if you got a failure at that moment can you get back up again and it's a it's a subtle difference from some of the other flying devices you see out there we always assume the worst we always assume that we could get a completely unfathomable failure and therefore for instance our race series is all going to be over water and, and you know for that reason that it means it keeps it safe uh, in fact actually your question is very opportune because on our YouTube channel uh, at gravity industries we are now going back through the archive and pulling out lots of clips including we haven't published it yet but an episode that's going to be entirely focused on fails. On my keynotes I do all over the world I, I cover these and they always end up being the most popular part of the tour. Um, we've kept all the fails all the crashes you know no one's ever hurt themselves but they look quite quite spectacular and dramatic and they are—they resonate I think a little in some people's minds with those clips that you see in the uh, first uh, Marvel Lion Man film of where the Downey Jr. character is smacking into the balls of yes. his uh, wonderful man cave. Um, some of them are a little bit like that but not quite as dramatic.
0: Incredible. I know you're very busy Richard and then you're doing you're printing something right now you're in your workshop I don't want to take all of your time. That's right. Uh, I, I do want to ask you about the future. We're connected uh, together because of our, our good friend, John Shorter. You know, you've uh, written a piece in, in Aftershock and, and Alvin Toffler wrote the book 50 years ago, 50 years ago. It's, I can't even imagine 50 years ago. I'm not 50. So it's like so, ah. so, so back for me. Same for you probably. And what did Toffler see back in the day? And he could predict and he could say, hey, this is what will happen to the world. It's mind blowing. Incredible. I want to ask you, what? What are you seeing emerge out of your work in the next 15 to 20 years? What kind of a world do you see happen? What kind of cities do you see evolve what you're doing?
1: Well, I, I mean, I'll tackle the obvious question that might be in some of the listeners' minds around, you know, do I harbor an ambition that everybody's going to be flying around in jet suits and taking the kids to school and going to the shops in jet suits when we're allowed out? Um, maybe it's a good way of socially distancing at the moment. You know, and the answer is no at the moment because they are, you know, the, the, that machine there and the six sitting around there, there's another one down there. They are all a 1,000 horsepower. They produce about 150. 1,520 decibels of sound, you know, a bit like a very high-end motorbike, they can be safe if you know what you're doing with them, but if you don't, then there is the opportunity to hurt yourself quite readily, So, hence we train people properly and all that sort of stuff, but you know, it, it's not as simple as just jumping at a car, turning the key and going. However, the very first motorcars were considered noisy, smelly and inefficient and were joked at compared to looking at the incumbent technology, which was a horse. Look where that technology's got to. So our focus is training clients, doing events and particularly building our big race series, with which everybody will hopefully enjoy the content from when we're allowed out to Babuda for the belated event that um, was due to happen a couple of weeks ago. I think we can reinvent a whole new form of Marvel-esque aerial Formula One, if you like. that can tour around water air locations all over the world. But anyway, that's another story. If a byproduct of all of that evolution and all of that public awareness and things like battery technology hugely in, in enhancing, then maybe a new very raw form, almost da Vinci form of flight, which means I can put on the absolute minimalist amount of equipment and then just go anywhere and th- three-dimensional space you know I think we're about the closest out there to delivering that so maybe that could evolve into more of a mainstream thing so that that's that, that's in terms of personal mobility and flight you know we've got a watching brief but it's not our focus at the moment more broadly I mean to answer your question I, I think actually this current trauma around the virus is probably going to teach us more about where the future's going than than anything I think the fact that so many people are getting so familiar with communicating like this um, I think that's going to change society hugely I think we're going to end up with people um, not shopping when, you know, rafts of the more elderly generations are now all online, online shopping and talking to their grandkids online. And I think it's going to accelerate us probably a decade um, over 2020 um, to a position where people are going to reevaluate why do they physically need to go on holiday and physically need to be next to their work and physically need to live in a certain location in a dense, crowded, expensive city. Mm. I think we're going to shift probably to become a physically more lonely community. But then that's the onus is on the technology to make, you know, this interaction we're having now feel ever more real, you know, better resolution, better voice the fact that I'm, I'm, I am I'm have to look up here at the camera when really you're there and I'm here, yep. you know, all of these subtleties, which I know in the corporate world, I remember in BP that we um, to really need video conferencing systems that would even actually remove the parallel access aspects to video conferencing. So I, I think that would be my best guess of the answer. I think the way that we interact as human beings, whether it's for work or leisure, is going to change. And this the virus lockdown is shining a light on, on where we're going to go, for better or worse.
0: Thank you. Do you think from a technological perspective, if you look at some of the must- have absolutely necessary things you need for a flying suit to use is uh, probably fuel that you're using. But what about different technologies? I don't know. Uh, What about battery technology? What about nuclear power, just like uh, Stark uses it?
1: Yeah, so I'll just touch on the nuclear thing for a minute. So uh, I often stand on stage and talk about uh, jet engines, you know, gas turbines, which is what we use, being about the most energy dense form of propulsion out there. And to be clear, I mean an engine that takes fuel and produces is an X amount of thrust for Y mass. So, you know, the little engines we use are about two kilos, so what, four or five pounds? And they put out 22 kilos or more like 50 pounds of thrust. That ratio is insane. Now they do consume a lot of fuel to make up of the a gap there. But I got stopped once in a talk where somebody actually did afterwards in the, in the questions say, actually, you're wrong. The most energy dense engine, if you like, is a nuclear reactor. They do tend to weigh an awful lot, but put out an astronomical amount of power as well. Anyway, uh, no, I, I don't think, I mean, if you could get, gosh, um, if you could crack cold, you know, fusions, so fusion rather than fission uh, if you could crack fusion then somewhere long down the list of things you go and do with that after mainstream power generation uh, for no waste and no real fuel consumption uh, might be the militarization of it and then maybe yes you'd head another big leap towards the Tony Stark world but no I mean it's a long way off I think unfortunately
0: What about battery technology? Yes. Yeah,
1: so so more realistically is batteries. so we built somewhere in the background somewhere I can't think where maybe there's an example of a bit of an electric turbine up there we have built an electric version of a jet suit and it uses big electric Inductive fans they are electric motors you know with electric fans on them and with a big bunch of lipo batteries and it is tough because the energy density of a lithium polymer battery is about 60 times worse than fuel so jet fuel or diesel or gasoline Um, so in other words you need let's say for a a pound or a kilo of of jet fuel you need 60 pounds of battery uh, to to contain the same energy which is a real pain so we have just about got off the ground we did in in a quite amusing way we solved the problem slightly by just making the pilot very very much lighter so i used Then one of my kids, they're now 11 and 13, I used at the time my nine-year-old on a safety tether, to be clear. And he managed to bounce around like he's on the moon with this big electric noisy fan thing. It was more of a line in the sand, marked where we are now. And as people like um, Mr. Musk uh, advance down the route of uh, electric cars and everything else electric, including planes, there will be an ever-increasing number of options out there and we're ready to hoover those up as they come. But for now, it's tough. It's really tough to beat diesel or jet fuel and uh, a gas turbine
0: incredible uh richard i want to let you go because i know it's time give us some parting advice on how do you think bigger than your circumstances how do you create something larger
1: than life i think about a a process to this i think um that there's a number of things i throw out there so one is think like a child you know you are you have it beaten out of you um at school and at you know college and whatever you know silly things just you know lining up in your mind you know how i don't know looking at something thinking how it looks like an animal or wondering why you know some street light doesn't quite line up with the Edge of your window pane when you're glancing out of the window, not listening to class. You know, we're always told to shut up and look at the textbook and and listen and tell, you know, regurgitate what you've been taught. Actually, all the big breakthroughs are, are staring out the window and thinking in a way no one's ever thought before. They're taking inspiration and letting those ideas just lurk around with each other in your mind in a way that no one else has been mad enough to imagine. It doesn't say on the guidebook you should go and put a jet engine on your arm, and there's a lot of good reasons why you think it's gonna tear your arm off and the gyroscopic momentum and the, the fact that you know it's gonna flail around like a hosepipe and all these things. Actually, there's good physics reasons. Why well, they don't but the conventional received wisdom was that they would be impossible well actually if you just step out there and go and play in a safe way and cover off sort of those risk rules just get out there and think like a child and play and explore and imagine and let your imagination go crazy and then work out how quickly and realistically you can get off the idea into actually testing the concept you know a little secret over there is there is a baby carrying rucksack back stuck to some plywood with some door hinges and i can't tell you any more than that but that we've i was flying that 24 24- hours Hours ago. Wow! Wow! And it's using door hinges and plywood. Oh. And because okay, we're three years in. We're you know certainly on paper a multi-million dollar company, um, having been seen, enjoyed by millions of people around the world. But that does not stop us from going and using plywood and door hinges to test a new generation of suit, which is frankly insane compared to what we do now. And the key to that, like I say, is not being afraid to go and safely yeah. test new concepts. Still, amazing,
0: incredible, Richard. I can't thank you enough for being part of uh, the the Incon show and the podcast and being a contributor on AfterShock. We definitely we will keep on following your progress and, and seeing your amazing work. Thank you so Thank much you.
1: for being in. Thank assistant. you very much. And just we have got it here. Look, there you go. It's sitting here as well. <laughs> there you go.
0: All right. Yeah. So thanks you very much. See you then. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. You take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. Very much. Bye. Hey friend, this is Ian Khan. If you liked what you saw on my video, then please subscribe to my YouTube channel and be inspired every single day with innovative content that keeps you fresh, updated and ready for the future. For more information, also visit my website at iankhan.com.